Oh, thanks, Steve. Um, well, now you have two challenges, not just with uh, my accent, but I have a little cold, so now I'm going to have a garbled, garbled English accent, so I hope you'll be able to suffer along with me. I, I just have to say in starting, it's been 10 days now since I've been in, in Sydney, and I, I almost feel like I'm, on a, in, I'm Australian now. I, I, I still keep going up to the wrong side of the door on the car to get in, but I think I've got the driving figured out only, you know, every time I get behind the wheel, only about three to six people honk at me now, and I only got one parking ticket, so I'm, I'm really starting to get the feel of this. I, I really do love... Um, your culture, you guys were so kind. Um, we, were, uh, we were put up at a place called Pitwater. You've heard of this? Um, at this house in Clareville. And, oh, just the boats and the cafes and the, and I can't pronounce it. What's the name of the park? Gurong Kai Haya. I don't, it's, I don't, I don't know what the name of this park is. You guys, I, I, I almost fell over. I really, when I saw, we, we climbed the lighthouse to it, uh, Baron Joey, I said that right. So we climbed the lighthouse, and then we went over to that park and saw it from there. It was just, just incredible, and the people have just been uh, so delightful, but none of this uh, has even touched just being with you. Uh, thanks again to everyone who came out for the marriage seminar yesterday. What a joy just to, to fellowship and to look to the Word, to to just talk together about this subject. It's just been, it's just been one sweetness uh, after another. So just thank you again uh, for your hospitality to my wife and me. You know, some of my fondest memories growing up were camping. My grandparents had this, this 23-foot camper, the kind that looked like a van and had the, the bed over the top. It was called the, the Free Spirit. And I can just remember piling into that thing, and, and about once a month we would go away. They belonged to this, this club called the, the Sojourners, and the, the adventures were unforgettable. It's like a seven, eight, nine-year-old, you know, snagging, snapping turtles by their shell with a, with a fishing hook or, or unintentionally submerging my bike in a, in a stream, which I, I thought I could have gotten across. And uh, I remember one time there was this campground next to a tomato field, and and we thought it would be a great idea to have a kind of produce war. And I, I don't remember how I explained to Grandma why I was covered from, from head to toe with ketchup when I got back. But it was, just, it was just such an amazing thing. And I can recall the beauty of those different locations. We have this place at home called the Pine Barrens in the state where I live, or these lakes in, in upstate New York, which is not the city. But they're just, they're just gorgeous. And the outer banks of North Carolina for, to the... Um, to the Appalachian Trail and the cliffs that we have there. But you know what I remember and I cherish even more than those things? It's something you might not expect. I, I remember Grandmom's ham sandwiches. I do. They were these kind of carved ham sandwiches, and they were just, they were just wonderful. I remember this, this pink soap that she used to use, and she would give us something called a spit bath. It's not real spit. It just means just with a washcloth and soap, and she'd kind of clean us up before bed. And I, I remember waking up, we were, Jim and I were, my twin brother were over top of the cab, and we'd wake up and Grandpa would have this coffee percolating. 
and grandma would be sizzling bacon. And those smells are even more memorable than some of the activities we did. And isn't, isn't that remarkable? That things like food, things like a, the, the warmth and safety of being in a camper, those are what's etched most deeply in my mind. And you know, it's no different when I continue to camp with my family. We had the privilege of doing that just a couple months ago, and we made super memories jumping into this this cold river. We explored a nearby cave and, and climbed through this high ropes course. It was, it was just a blast. But when I asked my kids, what, what do you remember most about camping? They said the same thing. Oh, I loved it when mom was making pancakes. Or when it was raining outside and we were all snuggled in the tent and we were, we were playing cards on our sleeping bags. And, and just that sense of you know, being around the fire and sharing stories and, and devotions and, and that closeness we felt. You know, that, that phenomena that I'm describing uh, of seeking security and comfort, provision of food, having this, this warm bed to sleep in, that thing which camping kind of accentuates, it's innate to humans. We, we all long for that sense that sense of being part of a home where, where we can enjoy a meal, where we can rest, where there's safety, where there's a sense of belonging to a family. In fact, those desires will one day be ultimately fulfilled in heaven, where there's going to be a wedding feast, where Jesus says He's prepared a place for us, and where we will experience ultimate relationship. But until then, God calls us not just to pursue those things for ourselves, but to share those things with others. And that biblical concept, as Dave mentioned, is called hospitality. Hospitality is the practice of making someone feel welcome, and it usually involves feeding them, or, or housing them, or protecting them. That, that kind of generosity and warmth is what's behind the idea of being hospitable, and it's a topic found throughout Scripture. And it's what Dave mentioned he asked me to speak on, and I really want to just stop here for a second and just commend him for wanting you to be equipped in this area. It's, it's not common to hear a message on this subject. I would guess for most of you it's the first time. But listen, it, it's important. It really needs to be a part of your DNA as a church. And I hope to convince you of that from God's Word. But before turning there, would you just stop with me and let's pause and go to the Lord in prayer and ask for His blessing on the preaching of this Word. Lord, we do this now because we recognize that it is not in my ability to convey divine truth and it is not in your people's ability to perceive divine truth. None of that is in and of ourselves. This is, this is the most spiritual exercise. Holy Spirit, we need you to come and give the gift of illumination you must open our hearts. You must open our eyes. 
You must open our souls to believe, to see, to know, to hear what You are saying in Your Word. And I pray that You would do that. And I pray that You would bless Your people, feed Your people, change Your people. And I pray this church, which which in my estimation is already naturally disposed to hospitality, I pray that they would have the theological underpinnings and the the passion and the, the text of Scripture to back this priority. And they would be used in this to care for one another. Indeed, as a hospital, that they would mend and heal. They would, their homes would be places of grace and life and truth and transformation. And I pray, too, that that hospitality would extend to the lost, God. That our homes would have unbelievers in them. And they would feel the same love, the same invitation and welcomeness that you have extended to us. We pray this all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, hospitality is a major deal in your Bible. And in many ways, it underlies the very story of redemption. Two letters of the New Testament, 2nd and 3rd John, were written with hospitality as their dominant theme. And I'm going to cover one of those later. But before arriving there, I kind of want to give you an overview of this virtue. And I want to begin with some understanding of the cultural context. And then I hope to show you how hospitality, or exactly what hospitality looks like in the book of Genesis with Abraham, and then with Christ himself in the upper room, and then we'll go on, as I mentioned, to 3 John, where some of the practices of that are worked out in the early church. And what I'm doing, just so you know, is known as biblical theology, which is just examining a doctrine, that is what the Bible teaches, in a chronological way, as it, as it develops throughout the Bible. Think of, it, think of it as studying what God says on any theme, in our case it's hospitality, as it kind of emerges and is, is born in the Old Testament, and then it finds fruition in the New Testament. This, this particular discipline of biblical theology, it can actually be a little bit more challenging to understand and even more challenging to organize, but it, it allows us to examine the, the extent of a truth in, in kind of a sweeping view from beginning to end, okay? So we're going to try that. Biblical theology on the doctrine, on the teaching of hospitality. So let's begin with the background. For starters, it just has to be said that God is the most hospitable person. Okay, he, he, he just is. He is the ultimate host. The, the entire creation is an expression of His care for us. From the lavish pleasures of food, and, and you should, you should think that. When you're eating something delicious, you should stop and put your fork down and say, what, what kind of a God creates so much enjoyment? How very hospitable of Him. And He doesn't just leave it to food. To think about the warmth of the breeze and the air as you, as you walk outside. Think of the, the coziness of, of a down pillow. Tempur-Pedic, if you prefer a modern version. 
God, God made these things. And you know what else He did? He made us to need them. He made us wanting. We, we can't supply these things for ourselves. Things like shelter and, and rest and relationships. Those things that I talked about that camping accentuates. God made us to long for those so that He could supply them. Isn't that, isn't that ironic? He fashioned us in a way that we were without so that He could satisfy, so that He could lavish us, so that He could show His hospitality, His generosity, His kindness, and His heart to bless. Isn't that awesome? And then being created in His image, such hospitality becomes inherent to our very nature. Though it's corrupted by the fall, there's still within us a desire to serve, isn't there? To meet others' needs. I mean, we see that in everything from the, the care of a parent for a child. We, we love to make our kids happy. But, but even among strangers, people, people are disposed to share. That's an amazing thing. To help where they can. And that was certainly the culture in which the Bible was written. Hospitality in those times wasn't just making sure that your family was provided for, but it was especially applied to strangers. See, strangers in that day really had zero standing, not in the law and not in custom. Without the support of a patron, a stranger really would, would be outside the community, really unable to survive. It was a very dangerous situation. Now, certain rules of hospitality were expected to be followed, and, and many of them continue in our modern world. Guests, to start with, were not to show any type of entitlement, like staying too long. Guests were not to refuse anything offered to them, especially food, for, for to do so would be to insult the benevolence of the host. I actually had a friend who participated in a missionary trip to India some years ago, and he had visited this particularly impoverished village, and the village chief and, and all of the individuals gathered around my, my friend, and they took this, this wizened, old, ugly chicken and they chopped his head off right in front of him they put the head of the rooster on a plate and they served it to him and this was a serious thing this was a delicacy and so <laughs> down it went for the furtherance of the gospel and it, and, and it, and it might seem amusing to us but listen, to, to reject their generosity would, would, have been, would have been a devastating violation of their hospitality. And, and it would have hindered their ability to preach Christ to them. Now, listen, it's not wrong to be sensitive to people's dietary preferences in countries as well to do as ours. But in nations that don't have that luxury, I, I trust you understand being picky would be offensive. 
So that's the guests. But hosts also had obligation to meet the needs of guests, but especially to protect them from danger. And we're going to see that as we turn to the story of Abraham and Lot in Genesis 18. If you would flip with me there, Genesis chapter 18. Genesis, of course, being the first book of your Bible. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Do you guys use the English Standard? Okay, so great if you have another Bible, but this is the one I'm using. You guys there? Genesis 18, verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him, that's Abraham, by the oaks of Merm, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you've come to your servant. So they said, do as you say. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. So here we see Abraham offering unreserved hospitality to these three strangers. He's pleading with them to refresh themselves at his expense, preparing this pita-like bread and and yogurt and lamb for his company, the the finest that he could muster. And then, then he stands beside them. He is eager to wait on their needs. Now these men, as we will shortly discover have come to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. They are angelic in nature, and as such, they actually represent the Lord Himself. Hebrews 13.2 appears to reference this story. The writer admonished us, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. That's remarkable. According to that verse, when we care for others, our sacrifices extend to the spiritual world. I mean, what what a motivation when we open our home to someone in need or share our food. It could be an angel eating off of our dishes or sleeping in the guest room down that hall. And in that sense, Hospitality is being done unto the Lord. I mean, listen to this breathtaking principle being applied to hospitality in Matthew 25, verse 34. Actually, why don't you turn with me there? I want you to see it for yourself. Matthew 25, first book of the New Testament. (coughs) 
<coughs> Matthew 25, beginning in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brother, you did it to me. Do, do you realize this? That your good deeds towards your brothers and sisters in need are ultimately being done to Christ. When we offer our couch for someone in need to sleep on because they're going through a difficult time, when we drop off groceries at an individual's house who is still searching for employment, when we visit those who are ill or imprisoned, we're serving Jesus Himself. What a radical perspective. What, what an incentive for practicing all forms of hospitality. What a difference realizing that would make the next time you are cleaning the house in order to host a meeting or you're preparing a meal to serve a family in this church. It is Christ you are waiting on. He is the one you are cooking for. He is the one you are cleaning for. He is the one who will be your guest. Incredible. And Abraham's hospitality was similar. It was being done to the Lord. And God rewarded such graciousness in the conversation with him that follows, granting the patriarch's appeal to spare the life of his nephew Lot, who lived in Sodom, a vile city that was on the very precipice of annihilation. But before that judgment, Moses records how Lot shows the same zealous hospitality as Abraham, but in this case, the element of protection is what comes out. So turn with me back there, if you would, back to Genesis, this time 19, one chapter later, in verse 1. Genesis 19, verse 1. It says, the two angels, those two angels were the ones Abraham just fed. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said no. We will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, 
So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread. And they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers. Listen to his language. I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they've come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Now, I trust you know that every act of Lot's hospitality here is not commendable, especially his negligence for the well-being of his daughters. In fact, when I read it, there's, there's anger in my heart as I think about him offering them to be raped by this throng of, of perverted men in place of individuals he, he doesn't even know. But as warped as his thinking can appear to us, remember, it was his obligation to defend anyone who came under his roof. Hospitality demanded personal sacrifice to protect one's guests. And as I wrestled further with how how disturbing it was that Lot would obey one command, that of hospitality, but wrongly disobey an even more fundamental command, to care for his own daughters. I I ask this question, what kind of a parent would give his precious children to be abused and and raped and shamed and and destroyed for the sake of a stranger? And do you know what answer I came up with? God. God himself. God is the kind of father who actually did a similar thing. He gave up his beloved son, his pure, virgin, sinless son, over to the defilement of iniquity, allowing him to suffer on the cross the most hellacious consequence for aliens, strangers like you and me, those who were on the outside of his community. Now, again, the immorality of Lot is not to be compared to the righteousness of God. But I hope you can see, even in this account, the hospitality of God giving up the best that he had, his beloved son, for the protection of us. 
And to that end, I actually want to turn now and look further at Christ's hospitality. So we're going to skip from Genesis and move all the way up to the book of John, chapter 13. So we saw in Abraham how our hospitality is done unto the Lord. Now we're going to see how the Lord Himself modeled hospitality and serving. And my prayer as we read this, and my encouragement is that you would just allow it to stun you. No matter how many times you've read No, read it. In fact, read this with me as, as if it's the first time. John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one Who sent him? In the Gospels, I would argue that this passage is second only to the crucifixion in terms of being scandalous, just downright incomprehensible. Jesus is functioning here as a slave. In fact, the only section of this passage that I'm comfortable with 
is Peter's outrage. Lord, you shall never wash my feet. It's just unthinkable. Christ, the second person of the Trinity. God the Son has an apron on. He's kneeling before those He created. And He is is tenderly bathing and drying their feet, the, the soiled parts of them that come in contact with the world. But, but he's actually doing more than just the duties a good host would, would have his servant perform. Jesus' act is foreshadowing what he's about to do in cleansing our souls from sin. That's seen in multiple facets of this story. The reference to the hour having come. That is the hour of his death. The, the context of the Passover meal. That is the commemoration of the slaughter of the lamb whose blood shielded God's people from his destroying wrath. And then there's the repetition of Judas' betrayal. Indicating that there is a separation between those who are included in the family and those who are not. And then verse 8 most clearly indicates that this washing that Jesus is doing is saving in nature. He says, if I do not wash you, you have no share in me. See, Jesus' hospitality here is to bring them into his home, into his family. He, he didn't just care for people's physical needs when he was on earth, which he did in healing the sick and feeding the hungry and clothing the naked. No, his ultimate expression of hospitality was to care for our spiritual needs, to feed the hunger of our souls that he alone could satisfy, to protect us not just from physical elements that threaten us, but from the judgment our sin deserved, as well as from the devil's designs to ruin us. And and the cross conveys to us divine hospitality in welcoming us into God's very household, securing us in the knowledge and the safety of being adopted as His very sons and daughters. Oh, aren't you grateful that Christ is hospitable? And we have the privilege, church, to emulate Him in that. Look at verse 14 again. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Church, we are called to wash one another's feet. To wait upon one another. To open our homes. To, to reflect the servant heart of Christ in hosting and and feeding, and welcoming others. And when you do that, when you have people over to your place on a Sunday afternoon for a meal, you're you're not just doing that unto the Lord. You're doing that in a way that emulates Jesus' holy example here in the upper room. And you know what it does? It will strengthen you as a church family. And, and not just because it meets the physical need. More importantly, it serves a spiritual end. And I want, I want you to see this in the text. Remember, washing feet is more about the saving activity of Christ, the, the cleansing grace 
of the gospel, not, not the removing of dirt from our skin. That's evident in the next verse. Verse 15 says, I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is, here's the key word, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Church, we're messengers. Washing one another's feet is about a message. It's about washing one another with the truth of the gospel, which is reminding one another, verse 1, that Jesus loved His people to the very end. Reminding one another how His mercy, mercy is applied daily to us. Oh, listen, this is the core of hospitality. It means that after you've enjoyed food together, as you're, as you're catching up on life, caring for one another in various circumstances, you f- infuse the conversation with the grace of God in Christ. You make sure that your guests aren't just comforted by your friendship, but with the friendship of God Himself. Do you see what We're meant to be satisfied by dessert, no doubt, but even more by speaking about how we are fed by the glories and the beauties and the tenderness of God and His greatness. See, we we give rest to others when we wash them with this truth. You're forgiven, my friend. You will never be condemned because of the cross. You are in Jesus Christ. And that fellowship that hospitality affords, it doesn't just involve comforting our brothers and sisters with the good news, but opening our homes in a way that invites unbelievers, that invites strangers to experience in our hospitality the hospitality of God and to hear in our gospel-centeredness the message that He has provided for the ultimate needs of sinners through the sacrifice of His Son and welcomes them now into His household. See, the, the community that we enjoy as a Christian family is never meant to be kept to us. It's meant to overflow to the world, to to beckon them out of the cold, out of the storms. We're we're called to attract them to the the warmth, to to the safety, to the joy of coming home. Hospitality, in that sense, is meant to further mission. And I want to look at that just very briefly. If you'll flip to the end of your Bibles... 3 John, where the apostle is personally going to commend an individual named Gaius for his hospitality in receiving missionaries who are proclaiming the truth. So look with me there. 3 John, it's right before the book of Revelation, two books before. Tiny little book, 3 John, and I'm just going to read from verse 5. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. 
you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. At the conclusion of our survey on this topic of hospitality throughout Scripture, we see that it is finally about mission, the furthering of the gospel to strengthen existing churches, but also for the planting of new churches through the supporting of missionaries to those yet to be reached. That mission involves both you personally evangelizing your unsaved neighbors and co-workers and relatives by having them over for a meal. And especially as you grow more accustomed to doing this yourselves in your homes where the gospel is the centerpiece, it's just a short step to doing that with the loss. But I also want you to see how you are called to and have already done what John is thanking Gaius for here. You have welcomed me. You have served me in a way that has furthered our partnership and the proclamation of his name. The Williams have had us in their lovely home. So have the Pasoliches. Dave and Emma have been so generous to us and have met our every need. And that kindness has allowed me to serve you, Sovereign Grace, by filling this pulpit for Dave so he can get to other things. And I, I trust the marriage seminar yesterday was a benefit to you. I've had the privilege to spend hours of encouragement and counsel and fellowship with the tailors and the core team. The, the opening of your hearts has strengthened our connection as churches. It, it does not feel like we're 12,000 miles apart anymore. Laura and I have also had the joy of sharing meals with Dave and Emma in our part of the world. Dave has stayed in our home. He's taught our church so well from Grace Communities Pope, And we've been able to serve Mike with various expressions of hospitality as well as Sarah. That has joined us together in this work and it has resulted in the mutual edification of both of our congregations. Do you feel that? We are a larger family together. We're not alone in our labors. And that connection is such a blessing. I, Sovereign Grace, I will never forget how you have impacted me in my time with you. Now, you were already a part of my heart and my prayers, but, but having experienced you in person, having been so blessed, by your hospitality and, and humbled by your encouragement, I, I feel a part of this family. I don't want to leave. That's the power of hospitality. And that's the partnership that we share in gospel mission together. So that's it, my friends. That's hospitality. It is to be done Unto the Lord. And I so want that 
to affect you. It means you are regularly ministering to Christ himself. When you are opening your home to those who are in need of care, when you're hosting prayer meetings, when you're cooking meals for fellowship, when you share your vehicles with those who need you are waiting on Jesus. You are doing those things to him. Secondly, remember, hospitality also portrays his cleansing sacrifice as a servant. And it is used, that is, hospitality is used to wash others with that same gospel of grace, reminding them of his love, strengthening them in the truth, and imparting to them the satisfaction and the healing and the joy of his life. And finally, hospitality is a tool for the furtherance of mission. It enables us to welcome sinners into our home as Christ has welcomed us into his home. And it joins us in partnership with other churches that are a part of our larger family, spurring us on in our call to link arms for the spread of this glorious good news. Would you pray with me? Well, Lord, we... Oh, we just thank you for being so hospitable. Thank you for opening your heart and your home. Thank you for giving your Son to wash our feet, to serve us, to make us yours. What an awesome thing it is. And I pray, Lord, that wherever there might be a fear here, yeah, my home is too small, or maybe an excuse, oh, I'm just too busy. Lord, I pray there would be an awareness of you and the lengths that you went to to have us, to sacrifice for us, to welcome us, Lord, the safety and the satisfaction, the comfort, the warmth, the embrace, and the food and the belonging that you extend to us is, well, it's the sweetest thing there is. It's, it's our refuge. It's our life. And Lord, we want to be so moved by that that we're so glad to open those same things in any way to our brothers and sisters in this church and open them to the lost who haven't yet experienced the grace that we do. So I pray you would help this church to excel in this gift, in this grace of hospitality.